Well, we're only in chapter one of the Gospel of Mark, um, this season, where, which we call Epiphany, the shining out or the shining forth of Jesus. And so we hear lots of spectacular stories uh, in this season of the church's life. And I'm going to uh, get some of y'all's help. I have the, uh, the moving microphone. And I, I want you to tell me one thing you heard in the gospel that Jesus did. And I think the first person who should answer that question, one thing that Jesus did is Lisa Greenslip, who sits back here. So, uh, Lisa, since you were listening to the gospel, what was one thing that Jesus did? Yes. Let me think about that. <laughs> okay. I, I, that was really cruel. She and I are both introverts, and uh, I just thought, since I have to be up here as an introvert, that I'd pick on another <laughs> introvert. <laughs> See, Patricia's not an introvert. See, she's ready. She's sitting on ready. One, one thing that, that Jesus did in the gospel. Uh, he took Peter's mother-in-law by the hand, and her fever was, was healed. Okay. Amazing. Oh, here's another extrovert. <clears throat> he drove Bill. out many demons. All right, demons, and he helped his mother-in-law. What? Over here? What? All right, thank you, Joy. Uh, Joy said he got up while it was still dark. Lisa, are you ready now? What? Oh, the, the demons. She agrees. He cast out many demons. Okay, see. <laughs> she might never forgive me for that. Uh, um, and uh, one, one other from another extrovert, Don. The, the extroverts love this kind of game. He healed many. It didn't say he healed all. He yeah. said he healed many. Okay, good. Interesting distinction there. He healed many. Uh, there, um, you know, Jesus is a human being, uh, but it just uh, there's another place in the gospel where it says he could not do many great miracles there because of the lack of faith of that community. So uh, Jesus is not just a magician. Um, he functions under the power of the Spirit and requires the cooperation of faith of the community. Anything else that anybody wants to highlight? Okay, that's probably enough uh, for everybody. The introverts now are sort of just kind of going like this. And uh, the extroverts are saying, gosh, I should have raised my hand. I had something to say, too. I was going to tell them about the Super Bowl tonight. And, but talk about something. So that's the other great thing that happens today besides worship, right, is what? The Super Bowl. And uh, the New York Giants and who... And um, I, I didn't know if, uh, if uh, Mike uh, and uh, Don Warfield would be here. I don't see them. Uh, they, may be, they come to the 1045 sometimes, too. Mike is a, I just, every now and again, you, 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 you encounter a purebred. And he, he's purebred. Uh, he is from New York City. And he is a New York giant. And even last week, he wore a New York Giants jacket to church. Uh, and walked in like this, you know, he's so proud, and, you know, and I, I can't imagine what he's going to be wearing this morning, so I assume he'll be here unless he's just going give to the, give the whole day to his other gods, you know, and just, you know, no, this is, I'm worshiping the Giants today at Super Bowl Sunday, but maybe he'll be here at 1045, we'll, maybe the Lord will, will rebuke Satan's working on Mike and draw him here for worship this morning, and, um, uh, there's only one reason why the Giants and the Patriots, well, actually, there are three reasons. One reason, though, why they are uh, playing today is because they know how to do three things better than anyone else. If they did two of these things really, really well, but not the third, they would not be playing in the Super Bowl. It's not that they're any different from any other team. 
They just do these three things better than any other team. And they are this. Many of us can answer this question. Lisa, do you want me to come up down and ask you? Or no, just <laughs> leave it. Okay, okay, all right. I'll, I'll tell you. The answer is offense, defense, and special teams. Special teams is, you know, the kicking stuff and all your know, field goals and fourth, um, fourth down punts and kickoff and all that. And if the Patriots and the Giants did two of these things really well, great offense, Eli Manning and Tom Brady, great defense, and the special teams was flat, they would not be playing today. Uh, for this season, for this year, they are the best of the best at all three. And I want to offer to you that uh, may the same be said for Christians who call themselves and choose to be disciples to be effective as a disciple, you must, we must accomplish three things. Have to. If you do two of the three, that's really good. But three of the three is what grows and makes fruitful a follower of the Lord Jesus. A long time ago, like 40 or 50 years, most Christians majored in one of these. Uh, that was sort of the style of mainline denominations to major in one. And the other two were uh, not paid much attention to, really, except perhaps by coincidence or happenstance or by somebody who really understood and knew. And the one thing 50 years ago that Christians were willing to do really well is worship, Sunday worship. You know, you didn't ask if somebody was a Christian in a small town in the South. You asked them where they went to church. You know, which church did they attend? The worship was front and center in the disciples' life. The culture has changed, and our way of living as disciples has had to change in a significant fashion, happily to resemble more the quality of discipleship of the first century. I love that image of being a first century disciple in a 21st century world because the first century disciples were unique and different and they were super in the fact or in the uh, experience of understanding three things that they needed to live under to thrive and prosper and to be fruitful which is God's intention for our lives is fruitfulness they understood worship and they understood small group, such a kind of mundane, ordinary kind of two-word phrase, small group. Jesus taught them this, and they understood it. Peter, James, and John, a very tight inner circle, small group with Jesus. And of course, then that group of 12. And then there were the women as well. And I suspect he gathered the women on their own at times. Uh, but there was certainly that wonderful group of loyal followers, the women, the ones who were um, present here, there, and everywhere. And uh, they lived in a small group environment. And it was beautiful. And there's a third one as well that Jesus understood. And it's the one that we can just fly past and read by. And if you read gospel stories, if we were reading the gospel of Mark further this morning, it really would have been diminished. But because we have a very bright disciple over here on the far left, Joy Hunter, who said... And he got up while it was dark. Jesus understood the third dimension, if you will, of his life under God's 
dominion. Worship, yes. Synagogue, every Sabbath. Small group, yes. Peter, James, and John, the twelve. Let's go together. We're going to do this together. And another very mundane, mundane two-word description of life with God. Quiet time. Now, brothers and sisters, I simply want to elevate that third element of the life. We, as the people of St. Paul Somerville, have really strived and worked and been converted and convicted about worship and about small groups. And quiet time can be added there as well. Because like the Super Bowl, offense and special teams without a defense or offense and defense without special teams... And there is something that is significantly diminished. And for the disciple, worship, here we are. Small group, thanks be to God. Whether it's through the experience of Alpha where we gather in a small group or the small group settings that are available on an Impact Together evening or all the small groups that have proliferated in our community. And quiet time, for lack of a better word or phrase. Quiet time is not, well, I say my prayers while I'm driving to Charleston for work every day. Quiet time is not when I'm in the shower, getting ready for the day, or at the end of the day, I also pray. Quiet time is not um, all the ways that we multitask our time with God. That, yes, while I'm going for a walk this morning, I'm also going to say my prayers. Those are all right and good. Nothing wrong about them. But is there something compelling to you? The 10th verse of the 46th Psalm. Be still and know that I am God. Be quiet. Stop and know that I am God. Is there something a vehicle God has given to us aside from the large gathering of worship and the wonderful setting of small groups where two or three gather in His name and He is there simply to be still, sit down, put aside all the remote controls, quiet down the environment, find a space, and know God. Jesus understood that. What did he say this morning? And this is not the only place. It's one of the fascinating qualities of Jesus as a model of godly living. It's peppered all through the Gospels. Phrases like this that are, you just kind of breeze right by him because there's all the activity going on in Jesus' life as a disciple of God and as a leader of his apostles. But here we get it. Very early in the morning, was his chosen preference. While it was still dark, in other words, before the world and his busyness has begun, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place to pray where he prayed. Quiet time. You get the sense as one reads the gospel in a story fashion, and here are these little peppered places of that, Okay, this was really important to Jesus as a model of living as he lives, to live with God and under God, that out of that is where his energy, his passion, his effectiveness, his uh, ability at the end of the day to seem like he's just got, you know, I have food that you know not of, he said to his disciples once. 
He had that spiritual food because he chose the early part of the day. We might choose noontime. We might choose the end of the day. We might choose before we go to bed. But to find a time in our daily rhythm where we are not doing anything else but being still. It's the hardest thing in the world to accomplish. Uh, I think Satan probably has something to do with it. A lot of us are pretty good at worship. We're here every Sunday. And a lot of us are pretty good in small groups. We've gotten converted to that. And we, uh, we have a, we're in this small group or that small group. And we know that's a priority when one kind of finally uh, finishes its task that we want to find another one and get into that. And another place, but a place of great struggle, is quiet time. We've just finished a covenant renewal journey of saying, Lord, how can I um, grow and how can I be sustained as a disciple in 2012? And uh, you may have written something down like this, but I realized with some embarrassment that it was the first thing I wrote about besides, Lord, I want to remember all the blessings you've given me. I want to remember. Uh, It says, and Lord, in 2012, I want to be more disciplined in my quiet time. Quiet time is a place simply to be still, to be in prayer, to be in listening prayer as well as verbal prayer, and to let God speak to you because you open your Bible. And that's one, he can speak simply directly to us in that stillness, or let him speak to us as we sit and hear a word by reading perhaps aloud or silently and just say, what is God going to say to me today through his word? A 10-minute quiet time is a great start. It might grow to something longer. But the fact that you give him 10 minutes or 15 minutes of nothing else, your full undivided attention, somewhere in your 24-hour day, will bring blessing to your life and effectiveness and fruitfulness in your ministry. If Jesus, and it's good enough for him, I'm thinking it's probably good enough for me too. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I got converted about this in my early 30s or mid-30s. Um, converted that this was a, something I needed to give more attention to. I tried before and failed. And part of the problem was I didn't get up early enough to have time to do this. And uh, so I said, well, I'm going to start getting up earlier and do this. And um, as soon as I said that and decided I was going to do it, uh, the next morning I, um, I slept later. It's kind of like, like when you decide you're going to lose weight and so you're going to eat less. And the very next meal you eat more with some excuse. Well, this is my last meal, so I'm going to have a little more this time. And then uh, it just keeps on getting pushed to the side. And I remember this extraordinary spiritual battle over the most mundane task. And that was to have quiet time. I need to get up early. And I like sleeping while after the sun has risen, if you will. And so I wrestled and struggled with this. I went to pray a prayer about this uh, and, you know, asking, I need help. I don't have the discipline, I realized, to get up as I would like to now. Decide that's when I'm going to use the time, the, the very early in the morning time. And um, this literally went on. I'm embarrassed to say for years. So I finally realized the reason I don't get up early is not only lack of discipline, it's because I stay up too late. And so then I said, well, why do I stay up too late to get up early? I said, because I'm watching the foolishness on television. 
is the only reason I'm staying up too late. So then as I re-examined my life, I said, I need to cut off the television sooner, and I need to go to bed earlier. Maybe I'll get up earlier. That, too, proved to be a challenge and a task because it had become so habit-forming at the end of the day to turn it on and to leave it on too long. So this long spiritual journey of asking for prayer about it, of deciding to get up earlier, deciding to get up earlier, I need to wake up earlier, or to pray early, I need to wake early, and to wake up earlier, I need to go to bed earlier, has been this long progression over a long period of time. And there finally was a Shazam accomplished, not just one morning, but a sustained kind of rhythm of that, which I celebrated and gave thanks for. That was many years ago now for me. And there has certainly been slippage along the way because I think Satan is always pushing in. And so for my 2012 covenant, I committed to myself, and now apparently I'm committing to all of you to hold me accountable, is that this would become not a just a regular occasional routine, but a regular always routine in my life. And at the same time, not punish myself when I don't accomplish it and instead just dive into the day, but just to do better in 2012. The Super Bowl players today, the Giants and the Patriots are there because they do three things well, better than anyone else, offense and defense and special teams. I invite you, disciples of the Lord, invite you to imitate the model of our own Savior and decide to do three things well. Worship, life in a small group community, and Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God, and quiet time. Why? So that you will bear much fruit fruitfulness, fruit that will last in your life and through you, the lives of others. Amen.